episode three of Startup Masterclass. Good to have you back. Um, Last time we covered how to get going uh, and how you should consider the process of launching the business and getting it started. Uh, And before that, we covered how to pick the idea you're going to go for if you decide to launch your own business. Um, This week's entry is a bit more uh, detailed and probably longer and is specifically dedicated to how to think about and how to raise investment for your startup, which is something that if you're building a scalable business and you're going to build probably a technology company uh, or any capital intensive um, business, you're probably going to need outside investment. Um, And I have some pretty, uh, well, just interesting views, I guess, on it, having raised quite a lot of money um, for Content Cal and also having been through the fundraising process for, I think, two other businesses now, which has always been fun and exciting um, and played a role within that. So, yes, there's a lot to cover, basically. And raising investment is a really interesting subject. I think it's one of those things that gets covered in the technology press an awful lot and attracts a lot of headlines. And um, I've also seen in, let's say, the last couple of years, a lot of people looking at these funding rounds, looking at the way companies raise investment and celebrate them and and sort of looking on it negatively, which I think is ludicrous. Um, If you're, depending on the type of business you're building and depending on the type of business you are, there are different ways to fund the company. Uh, And a big one is obviously revenue from customers and it is absolutely a priority for businesses. You should be revenue generating as quickly and as early as you can pending the business you're creating. Um, But people who look negatively or uh, have eye roll moments when they see funding rounds being announced is a bit silly in my opinion because certain businesses require significant upfront capital to scale um, over a very long period of time and the value that you create in those early days of that type of business is very very different to a business that can bill based on time and materials so that's my little blah moment back to those um, commentators if you like in the industry. So I won't be able to cover absolutely everything in one entry, uh, and I don't plan to, so there'll probably be a couple on this, and I'll definitely do just more general posts about investment as we go through the audio blog, because I think it's a subject people find interesting. Um, I'm going to cover do you need it and how to think about investment, um, what kind of investment you should go for, uh, which is usually driven by life stage, so we'll talk about that a little bit. Why uh, what I call, I suppose, a true startup, I, I don't like those definitions, but like a true startup is a very scalable venture. So why would that require outside capital? Um, what is SEIS and EIS? Uh, and those are particularly linked to any people who listen to this in the UK uh, because they are incredible um, government schemes to help you fund your organisation. Um, some time allocation and mentality from founders and how that works with funding. We're going to go through how to put together a pitch deck. Uh, I'm going to go through questions like how much should I raise when I get a lot from early stage founders and the other one being how much should I give away, which is always an interesting one to discuss. Um, Giving up equity, uh, I think I'll talk about how equity works and um, how it's a constant negotiation. Equity does, generally speaking, not stand still. I'll talk a little bit about the practicality, so lawyers, um, the process, get to closing the deal, how to close the deal. And then I wanted to spend a little bit of time at the end talking about the mindset after you close, because um, 
if you haven't done this before or if you you know are thinking about raising money you you can benefit from some of the mistakes i've made or some of the the thought process i've had that i probably look back on and think i shouldn't have thought about things that way so you know as i said this whole episode this whole podcast this whole audio blogging process is about trying to share experiences that i've been through to help people um go on a journey whether it's building a startup or just help people in life and work and We'll see how it all pans out. Um, so let's kick off uh, and how how to raise investment, how to go about this. Let's go through that process. So do you really need investment? Um, the way to think about this if you're starting a business is if you're kind of trying to start a big picture, you know, massive scaled up uh, startup, uh, technology based or product based, and you know that you can't finance it with your own money. Um, you also probably know that it's going to require a lot of money to do it. It requires significant R and D funding. Um, if you're starting a business and you need products and stock, uh, there could be other ways to go about it. But if you do need to kind of get your initial business off the ground, if it's more of like a physical business, um, there is definitely a um, case for investment um, unless you pursue dropshipping and stuff like that. So really, when you're planning the company, when you're planning um, how you want to grow this business, the options really start at, can you create revenue? Can you, on day one, launch and start selling? Um, and if you can't really do that, if you, if you do need to build a product, if you do need to create technology, if you need to establish your brand, you need to establish your website, whatever it may be, you've just got to ask yourself, do I really need outside investment to do this? Because... Businesses that are built 100% from um, customer revenue and they're either lifestyle businesses or that you've been able to finance it yourself in some way. Um, it's a very different kind of business, I would say, in terms of how it's, how it's run, um, how it operates um, and how it can be put together. And I've seen both uh, and I've worked with both where it's a 100% um, owned owner business and it's run and it's scaled and it's successful. And there are many good things to that. So um, I, I really respect people that go down that path. And I've also seen and obviously operated in highly funded businesses um, and multiple ones of those now. So I've seen both sides and you just need to kind of really do some internal thinking about the, the funding you need and, and what type of funding and what's it for. Um, going on to the next point, which sort of attaches into that. So what kind of investment you, you should get or want to think about getting. So... This is usually driven by obviously the business you want to build, but it's also usually driven by the stage you're at in your company. So equity funding is when you sell um, some of the shares in your business for investment. Um, and that's a very typical way of financing a startup. Um, you can do that through angels. You can do that through crowdfunding. You can do it through um, you can do it through seed funds, from venture funds, from corp venture funds. Generally speaking, however, um, if you're an early stage founder, uh, whether you've done this multiple times or whether you've um, whether it's your first time, it will probably be from angel investors. So typically you will go out to market and you will we'll go through the process later, but you will you'll basically do your pitch and get your idea out there and go and talk to as many people as you can um, about potentially investing in your business. And the high chance um, or the sort of highest percentage of people or group of people that are likely to invest will be angel investors. And there are two types of angels or a couple of types of angels, in my opinion. There are people who do it sort of professionally slash semi-professionally. So 
These are wealthy individuals who have, um, you know, got their hands on a lot of cash and they will basically look at startups as part of their portfolio, um, their investment portfolio, and they will typically have a bit of a process and a way of thinking. Uh, and some people have it very formally through like family offices and stuff like that in terms of how they would invest in a startup at the early stage, maybe why they would invest, why they wouldn't, the types of businesses they like to invest in. Um, some people have like a strategy where they will only invest in businesses that they can add value to and help and they can get involved with. And you see that a lot with early stage um, angel investment. And some people will have... Um, a more hands-off approach where they're willing to invest in startups and it's really a bit of a punt um, or it fits part of their investment portfolio and they have 5% of their wealth uh, you know, attributed to investing in startups and they invest in enough to make it work that they don't need to be involved or they don't want to be hands-on and they hope one or two pay back their own mini fund kind of thing. So there's quite a few different types. I mean, the other type on the flip side is kind of like the friend, family, slash non-professional investor if you like which is typically people who have got some extra cash uh, maybe lots of it maybe maybe not um, and they're there to support you so they're more in the box of they probably wouldn't invest in a startup which had approached them cold or through like a friend's introduction they're investing in you because they believe in you um, and they want to support you um, and they have the money to do so and there's some tax benefits potentially for doing so and they're backing you basically so they won't be looking at that from sort of like a professional investment portfolio point of view they'll be they'll be thinking i love or like this person and i want to see them succeed and i've got the money that i can afford to give this a go the people i would not take money from just to be very clear in this angel process is people who um, are investing because they really want to see a massive return on their investment <laughs> i think a lot of people have perceptions that that's the case and that's why people invest in startups at the very early stage it's not uh, and it certainly shouldn't be so anyone who has given you money and is expecting some massive return um, is not investing for the right reasons and you're not taking their money for the right reasons because the reality of it is and you need to be really realistic about this that 95 or whatever the percentages um, percent of businesses fail uh, the high chance of you going on your journey and succeeding is the high chance. There's a high chance of you going on your journey and not succeeding. Uh, and the idea that you are actually successful to build a scale-up startup, whatever it may be, or an actual business is incredibly low. And the investor has to have that mindset that I'm investing because I can afford to. I want to, for whatever reason, invest. And I'm pretty certain I'm going to lose my money. <laughs> which is kind of counterintuitive to investing at the end of the day, but all markets go up and down uh, and startups either survive, thrive and return massive amounts of money or they die. Uh, and that's the sad reality of it. So don't take money from people who are really looking for, obviously people are looking for ret returns. So I'm not stupid to that, but like don't invest in people who are like investing their last X amount of money because they think they're going to get rich quick. It's not for that basically. Um, Obviously, there's different types on top of that as well. So that's angels. There's the seed funds, which you can try and get into cold, um, but you've probably got a very low chance of success. So if you're in the startup network um, or if you're able to get introductions or if you've already built a business before and you've got great credibility and introductions are made for you, you can go to seed funds uh, and those are um, typically VC or EIS investment funds in the UK. 
that have other people's capital uh, and they are able to deploy it into early stage startups because that's the stage that they invest in. Um, there is no point going to a growth fund or a, a, you know, a, a scale fund or any of these massive um, organizations that are dedicated to scaling or growing later stage businesses. If you're starting from scratch, this is all about seed funding. Um, obviously, this is this episode is, to be fair, kind of dedicated to seed funding and maybe taking your first investment. Um, I can do a later one on growth funding and how to think about that differently. Um, there's a couple of other final sources of funding you can think about, and it just depends on where you're at in your career. But venture funds um, and corporate venture funds is specifically. So can you get investment from a large organization that is trying to solve a problem? Um, and Unilever have a VC fund, for example. Sky, where I used to work, have a mini VC fund. Um, and several organizations have created vehicles, basically, that can fund ideas that um, and businesses, either from employees within their organization or um, complete external people, to kind of crack the issues that they're trying to solve or, or bring products to market that they're trying to build. Um, so have a look at those as well. Later down the line, as I said, there's growth funds, there's private equity, there's IPO, but this is around the early stage, like I said, and probably getting your first investment. So um, let's let's focus on that. So those are the different types of investment you can go after. Um, I'm going to spend a bit of time now talking about why a true startup, as I said, requires outside capital. Uh, basically, and I'm going to talk about this mostly from a technology perspective, um, if you're building a technology business from scratch, um, as anyone will know who's done this or anyone who's explored it, the capital required to build a amazing product, you know, a category defining or a brand new category creating product, the money you need to design it, uh, you need to go on the road of testing it like we talked about in our last episode, you need to be able to actually build it, you know, technically build it with developers. Um, if you decide that you've got the validation to go down that path, you need to um, build the commercial model, you need to hire a team, you need to pay people, you need to create the thing. And when you come to considering funding in a technology business specifically or any business, like I said, that requires significant outside capital, you've got to really, really, really believe that this is going to be a massive organization, um, something you can build to be a business which is a major player in its space, which will take time to get there, but you've got to really think that this is going to go somewhere. Because if you take outside investment for angels, or if you definitely take it from VCs, they're not looking to fund many organizations, lifestyle businesses, and get a small return or two times return on their money. Um, if you want sort of, you know, 10%, 5%, 20%, even 50% on your money, um, in the short term, medium term, or even long term, there are lots of places you can go to do that, which are much less risky than investing in an early stage startup. If you want 10 times to 100 times uh, return on your investment, which is typically what an early stage tech business needs to aim for in terms of return to capital. Um, you've got to really have the mindset that you have a startup and an idea and a potential business that can achieve those objectives and those goals and those outcomes. Um, so have a real think about that. Do you have a true startup? Do you have a true idea that can deliver at least 10 times the return to the investor that you're taking money from 
at least 10 times. And there's no real defined period. I mean, a lot of funds try and hold their investments sort of to five to seven years um, and try and get out at that point. And I think a lot of angels probably aim for that too, but they probably have to hold on for more like 10 years to see a return, 10 to 15 years. But they're expecting big, 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 big returns. And obviously they're writing off a bunch of ones that don't work out, but you've just got to make sure that you have this true startup idea. So I can't remember the definition. I read it in a book somewhere, but it like, there's a definition around how startups have to have this huge potential for scalability. Um, obviously, if you're taking investment for more of a sort of lifestyle business and you are saying, I want to take 10 grand from someone and I'm going to pay you back 20 or I'm going to pay you back 10% interest over however many years, that's very different. So that's not what this is about. That's not what this episode's about. And that's not what this, this whole podcast is really about. So um, yeah, this is definitely about the startup side of things. Quick one on... S-E-I-S and E-I-S, and this is for the UK listeners. So S-E-I-S, Seed Enterprise Investment Scheme, and E-I-S, the uh, Enterprise Investment Scheme. Basically, they are tax incentives for wealthy people to invest in businesses. So if you're a wealthy individual and you have a large income uh, and you want to reduce your personal tax bill, you can invest in a startup and get uh, S-E-I-S or E-I-S tax relief. And basically, SAIS is 50% back. So if you invest 100 grand in a startup, you will get 50K back from the government um, for doing so. And you also get, I think it's another 25% downside protection. So if you've invested and it doesn't work out, you've got 50K back straight away in, a, in SEIS. And if it really goes badly and it fails, you get another 25% of that investment back. So your 100k basically or your investment goes a long long way it gets your tax bill down plus um you're you're able to write off another another chunk of money if things don't work out um and the eis is the same you just get 30% from what i remember if i'm if i'm thinking correctly and basically for a business seis you can raise up to 150k and they really really need to increase that to about 250 i would love to see them go up to 500,000 so the first 150 but if they could increase it it would be great for business um so we get it up to 500k um and eis well into the millions i can't remember the numbers but you can you can raise a certain amount of eis funds every year and i think it's like 12 million ish in total um you can get an eis before you before you have to take funding without that um so great tax incentives basically in the uk to uh to invest in businesses um let's get in some of the nuts and bolts stuff so as a founder um or as one of the founders and if you're the person who's sort of I wouldn't call it the main founder, but if you are the driving force, if you like, behind the business and its long-term objectives and you've got some co-founders in there who might be doing some sales, some products and whatever, um, you've just got to bear in mind that when you go through a funding round of any shape and size, and actually the irony is the amount of work to do a funding round for 150k is almost identical to do one for like 5 million, 1 million, whatever, like the workload is pretty much the same. Um, you will be spending 100% of your time or very, very close to 100% of your time raising money. Um, and you do need to do that to be successful, in my opinion. Um, so you've got to think about that and say to yourself, am I going to be the person who basically goes out and raises the capital? And if I am, I've got to be able to dedicate pretty much 100% of my time to doing that. Uh, and that means you've got to have, you've got to have like one eye, to, you know, one and a half eyes on the business as and when you can. And obviously you've got to be there for the key bits and you've got to understand what's going on. 
Um, but really what you want to build is the infrastructure that the company or the organization or the early stage stuff can continue to happen at pace whilst you're raising money. Um, because what you don't want, uh, and it does happen, but what you ideally don't want is for things to stall whilst you're having to go out and raise cash. Um, so if you can build infrastructure whereby maybe you've got two other co-founders that they can actually make progress uh, and almost run the business with you being your mind's eye on it basically whilst you're raising capital so that things continue to grow or your progress continues to be made and you hit your milestones whilst you're raising money that's the goal um, and I, I was able to do that to be fair from quite an early stage I had I've always had people basically almost running the company um, or certainly playing a major role in running the company whilst I've been raising money and I would say for the first four or five years of my entrepreneurial journey I spent 80% of my time raising cash and actually not a lot of time in any of my businesses. Um, I definitely had chunks of time and, and periods where I was in the I was in the business. And what you typically realize when you go out and raise funding and you go in and out of your company, um, when you're in it, basically things tend to go faster uh, and performance tends to be, I would say, better because... As the main person, if you like, the driving force, just everything starts to yeah level up based on whether you want things to go faster, you want to be more perfectionist around something, or you know you have higher expectations than potentially the others in your team. Just naturally, not for you know not for any other reason, but like you just do, and this is your like, endeavor. Um, and when you're out of it and you're raising capital, things they, you still make progress and you still make quite significant progress, but people don't have the same. Um, check-in points and the same nudges in the right direction basically and the same pushes if you like from when you're in it so that's something to bear in mind um so really speaking if you can build that infrastructure like i said that you actually have people in the business pretty much running it or it's certainly getting on with things whilst you're raising money that's the way to do it um the pitch deck so <laughs> i've seen and made some pretty crappy pitch decks in my time um, and the pitch deck, I mean, this is this is the sales pitch. This is the this is the way to paint the picture of your business. This is the opportunity. This is your art board, basically, to you know sell this idea, sell this business, make it the most exciting it can be. And you shouldn't um, you shouldn't not see it that way. Like you shouldn't be pay creating a pitch deck for investment as an inf piece of information. <laughs> For someone to read uh, and understand and just you know get a snapshot idea of what your business is um the pitch deck is your performance this is your way for you to go in um ideally obviously getting your face-to-face -face meetings and this is your moment to sell you and sell your business like you've never done it before um and i've got that wrong many times i in my early days if you like it was kind of reading best online pitch deck um, and trying to find and copy other people's what you quickly realize is is that if you copy other people's you're just um, it's not you it's not authentic and it's not I I don't know how to describe this it doesn't serve the purpose that you think it does the way to create a brilliant pitch deck in my experience as I said this is your storytelling moment this is your defining moment for you to pitch for investment for your business so you can't can't get it wrong um, your first slide uh, is so important um, and a lot of people kind of put like for example in my early stage ones content cal investment pitch 2019 or business x y and z 
looking for X, Y, and Z in funding. No, 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 no. You've got to go in on your first slide and make the biggest and boldest statement you can say about what your business is going to do. What is the most impactful, exciting, compelling reason or compelling line for you to communicate? Um, Because you're pitching for investment. So this is not just about conveying information. This is about telling a story. So it took me about three years to learn this. But like when I go in and pitch now, there's a pre-narrative I say before we get into the actual pitch, which is trying to tell the most compelling story I can around why we're doing this business, why we're going to be better than everybody else. The team I've created is unbelievable and my business is going to impact X, Y, and Z people. So Content Cow's kind of like defining line in its last pitch deck and it's one that we're really working towards in many ways is um, millions of people will market their brand this way. And if you take that sentence, millions of people will market their brand this way. That's quite powerful. Um, I can I can definitely do better than that if I'm in full pitch mode. But that whole statement is around, this is not just a, a, an investment pitch for a content marketing business, which has some software, which we sell on a licensed basis. We've got 100% new on year growth, blah, 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 blah. This is like, boom. Millions of people are going to market the way Content Cow enables them to market. Um, and I'm going to tell you a story about how I've built the best team. I've got the most incredible software I'm bringing it to market at at a really, really exciting pace. And we're going to change the way companies market their business forever. So you can kind of get a feel for this. Like you can't go in and just get some information across. And basically without me going through every single slide that you should have and stuff, like you can Google that sort of thing. But like your whole pitch is around telling a story and it's telling the story of the business not you as an individual. Like you've got to tell the story of the business, the idea. You thread some personal stories within that, but you really want the, the investors to actually ask you at the end of the pitch what your story is and what you're about. Um, I always used to also go in in the early days, which to be fair worked, but it doesn't work later on, and say, "Oh, this idea came from my experience in corporates. Um, you know, I spent X, Y, and Z years at Odeon, X, Y, and Z years at Sky. Then I built ASTP. Then I started Content Cow." And here I am, young founder, exciting, come on, invest in me, blah, blah, blah. Like that kind of works, telling those personal stories at the start. But eventually, like you've got to realize they're investing in a business first. And they are investing in the person first as well. But you'll you're, you're have to be almost interlinked. Um, and they're backing you and they're backing you, you know, to drive this idea forward. So uh, that's a bit of a ramble. Um the way to think about the structure of it, to tell the big story on the first slide, then go into your idea and kind of create some great imagery and some great graphics. I mean, another thing to think about as you're creating your pitch deck is you need a professional designer to bring it to life for you. Do not just go in with something that's not professionally designed. So tell the, tell the story after you've kind of introduced the big moment about what the platform is, what the business does, the size of the market that you operate in, um, why you're better than the others, um, what are the challenges that you're solving, um, what are the big problems that you're gonna, you know, you're gonna crack? Um, talk about uh, where the industry is going to a certain extent, not too much on that front, because investors will dev- generally have analysts looking into that stuff anyway, and they will have picked their categories that they want to invest in. So if you've managed to get in the room, it's likely that they're investing in your space or thinking about it. Definitely tell a story about the team. The team is critical. Um, obviously the founder slash founders are critical, but the rest of the team also need to be, 
you need to build credibility. So you need to show that you've managed to hire some great people um, on the journey because what investors do definitely know is that the team and the quality of the team um, is what it's all about and your ability to get the most out of them. Um, and then there's a debate on whether you should have the ask in the pitch. Uh, I actually don't think you should have it in the pitch. I think you should leave the ask out. So a lot of people say at the end, we're looking for 2 million investment for 20%. Uh, uh, and that values the business at X, Y, and Z. I don't put that in the, my pitch because I prefer to deliver the pitch, deliver the theatrical moments, tell the story, make it as compelling as possible. And then the deal the deal bit can come later. Like if they want to invest off the back of that and they're excited, there's a deal to be struck and there's a deal to be done. If you have to then get into the nitty gritty at the end of your pitch presentation of what the deal might look like. You don't want to do that because it's a secondary process. You don't want to rush it. This is all about the magic of the pitch. This is about the magic of the delivery. This is about, like I said, you painting the most compelling story you physically can of your idea, your progress, your success, your ambition, your energy. You know, you've got to absolutely flow massive amounts of energy in the room there. Um, so that's kind of the pitch deck and the, and the process to a certain extent of pitching. Um, that has taken me four years to master and I'm by no means a master, but like you've got to really, really prep, um, really prep your thinking basically and how you're going to do that. And I spent a lot of time and uh, had a lot of coaching on that. And you've got to have your key point for each slide that you want to communicate, not just reading off slides. Um, that's enough about pitch decking. I think I could talk all day along with that stuff about like creating the ultimate environment for the pitch, and that can be used, by the way, in in other areas. That that the whole methodology. I'll do a, I'll do a longer post on it at some point. But like the whole pitch methodology, can apply for sales. It can apply for other things. The main thing, obviously, to attach to that pitch and really be certain, um, and really for me to be clear about, is that yes, the pitch is storytelling. Yes, the pitch is sales, but it's got to be authentic. It's got to come from you. And you cannot lie or bullshit in your pitch. It's got to be real. So don't do that because you're going to get caught out for that. And that is just a bad thing to do. Tell the truth. Tell the story. Get that energy going and you will nail it. <sighs> that was fun. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed pitching. Um, okay, you, you kind of, you've got your pitch deck together. You've got to rehearse, etc., etc. One of the other activities you've got to do is create your long list. And... Basically, this is a long list of all of your potential investors, um, and you can do do that in a simple spreadsheet. So, all your friends, all your family, all your contacts, uh, VC funds, ways to get into them if you can get intros, family offices, etc., etc. So, create your long list um, and create your initial outreach plan. So, how are you going to go through that long list, and how are you going to start talking to them? How are you going to start engaging? How are you going to start? trying to get the number one thing, which is booking a meeting. Um, you do not want to be sending these people a pitch deck, a big long bullet point list about what your business is, your financial forecast for the next three years, etc., etc. You want to send them a very small teaser that you would love to come and talk to them about what you're going to be doing for the next however many years, this business concept that you've got, or this idea that you've started building. And I want to talk to you about potentially investing in it because I think it's a great opportunity and I just love half an hour to an hour of your time um, because I think you're, you'd be a really you know, fantastic investor for us. Um, so if I could just grab you half an hour to an hour of your time to tell you the story and tell you what we're up to, that would be great. Um, and if someone asks for your deck in advance, do send it. Don't send any financials, but feel free to obviously send the deck. 
ideally you would you wouldn't ideally you would say you know i'd rather not send the presentation because I, I really want to take you through this to tell the story properly it doesn't do it justice just reading a presentation so yeah you create that long list create the outreach and basically your goal from your your long list to your initial outreach is to get the meeting um, and you should do that directly with people you know if you've got good contacts and if you don't know people so if you're trying to get into a fund or trying to get to an individual you need to then work your network linkedin's obviously an obvious place to look into this sort of stuff to find introductions um warm introductions are something you hear a lot about and they are really really critical to getting an investor that isn't in your immediate contact book basically um okay so create that long list do your outreach uh, and you're going to get to the meeting you're going to get to that pitch and that's where you go in and deliver that golden that golden moment um another point i said i would go into which is how much should i raise and how much should i give away um i mentor a, a couple of early stage startups founders even um and that's always a question that they ask and giving up equity in your business is always it's too over emotionalized in my opinion by people uh, and you just need to look at it painfully objectively um so how much should i be giving away oh i don't want to give that away i might lose control blah 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 you're going to be selling some shares in your business, therefore you're going to be selling probably some of yours um, and you are doing that for the long-term success because you believe that owning X percent of 100% rather than the whole thing is necessary for you to achieve success. Um, you'd rather have a stake in a big pie rather than a whole pie that isn't worth anything. Um, so in terms of how much you should raise, it, it really depends. There is no answer for this. Like the, I think the average um, check obviously SAIS is a good chunk to do so you could do 150k you could do a million um, and how much should you give away you could give away 10% for each of those you could give away 20% for each of those you could give away a lot I wasn't perfect at giving away or managing my equity base if you like in the early stages but at the same time I look at what I've done and I've come out in a strong position overall so I think that's okay I think the real thing I would say about how much you should raise and how much you should give away and, and how that works in the short and long term is um, your equity stake in your business, uh, how much you're able to raise and how little you're able to give away is really performance based. If you're a high performer and you've built a startup before and you've been able to fund part of it yourself and you're going to go out and raise a certain amount of money and you're a, you're just a real high performer and you're known for being a high performer, you're not going to have to um, give away as much equity for the amount of money someone wants to raise for someone who is new to the game, fresh, you know, founder, never done this before, going through it for the first time. The, the, the second time founder can probably go out and raise a million pounds for 10%. Um, and the first time founder can probably go out and raise 150k for 10%. <laughs> um, so that gives you like a broad spectrum, maybe even worse than that. So you have to think about it from those angles. How much should I raise? Basically, where where I plan and how I plan my business, it's all about milestones. So, if I want to be able to go from MVP or no idea to, or sorry, no no product uh, prototype to prototype, I would raise the right amount of money to get me to be able to deliver those milestones, which might be building the product from V from V well, zero to V one and going through some commercial validation. So, I need to work out how much cash I need to build the product, get it to live do six to 12 months worth of selling to get some early indications on commercial performance. Work out how much money you need, add another 20%, always add another 20% and go out and raise that. 
Um, if I was building a business from scratch now, for example, or starting again, I would probably go out and raise a million pounds um, because I know how to allocate that capital. I know where to spend it. I know what does and doesn't work in the early stage. I know how to hire people, etc. So I would try and start with about a million pounds if I could. If I couldn't, I probably wouldn't start one with less than half a million. Um, and I think those are good amounts to start businesses. My first equity raise, my very first one was five grand. <laughs> so it was very different to that. Uh, and my second one was 15. Then I did 30. Then I did something like 75. Then I did 150. Then I did two sets, 400. Then I did a million. Then I did another million. Then I did another 2.5 million, something along those lines. And obviously my equity stake has actually gone up and down in those periods. I mean, obviously largely uh, it goes down because you're selling percentages, but this goes on to my next point around giving up equity. Um, equity is a constant negotiation. So you might sell 20% of your shares, 20% uh, of the business for um, for however much money, and therefore you've diluted by 20%. But you've got to realize that if you perform, and equity is all about performance, it's all about nailing your goals, control as well of your business, whatever it says on paper is all about performance. If you perform, if you're successful, if you hit your milestones, if you manage the stakeholders well, you'll have to give up some equity, but there's always a negotiation point to get some back. Um, and there's always option pools and there's mechanics to do that. Like it's a known thing. So when you're an early stage startup, you've got to be about momentum and hitting milestones uh, and not just thinking about, oh, I don't want to give away 20% because of this, that, the other. What if I give away over 50% in the long term to different types of investors? Obviously, you don't want to do that if you can, but like... If you need to do it to make progress and get it done, get it done. Work out where you want to end up uh, at the very end. Work out, you know, if you think you can get your business to a hundred million pound valuation and you're going to have twenty percent at the end of it, you've got twenty million pounds. Um, you'll be fine. <laughs> Obviously, it's great to have more, but maybe you do the next one, or maybe you negotiate a bit more later. Um, so just remember, whatever you end up giving up and however it ends up working, and what your role is within your organisation post funding and how that changes and develops. Your equity stake is a constant negotiation based on your performance. Um, and that's certainly how I look at it. A couple more nuts and bolts things. So you need to learn uh, you need to learn the legal lingo. You need to learn the finance lingo. You need to learn all of that stuff. And you need to have a very, very good lawyer to advise you and set up accountants on all of the clauses, um, the shareholder agreement, the investment agreement, the warranties attached to you as an individual, um, how your shares are structured, whether you've got preference shares or anything like that built into the package. Like, you, If you don't know this stuff, you've got to go and find people that are going to advise you and be your counterparts from the sort of legal and accounting perspective in terms of raising money. Very, very critical. Um, we've kind of talked about the process. It says to talk about the process there, but we've kind of talked about sending out emails and getting to first meetings. I mean, typically what will happen with an investment raise, uh, and it, it does flex a little bit, but like once you've got your first meeting, if it's with an angel, they will tell you if they're investing probably in the first meeting or if, certainly if they want to invest um, because it's their money. They haven't got to go through an investment committee. There's no other decision-making criteria other than usually partners either way. Uh, it's just making sure that it fits the financial plan of the family, if you like, of whoever they are. Um and they'll, yeah, they'll typically make a pretty quick decision. Um, obviously, check sizes are all dependent on the person. If you're raising from VC or any sort of institutional fund, you've probably got two or three meetings to go through. So you've got the pitch, then you might have a couple of other discussions. 
Typically, though, I mean, the company will tell you no, you know, after the first meeting if they're not going to do it. But if you get a second meeting and a third, you're kind of getting to the point where a deal should be done, provided you can get to acceptable terms on both sides. Um, and that, that takes a bit longer with a VC because if the guys who run the firm want to invest, they typically still have to go through some form of investment committee, which is external um, to verify the investment. And ContentCal had uh, uh, you know, a great pitch with a couple of people a few years ago who wanted to invest and back the business, but couldn't get it through their investment committee. And then we've done one where we, we have got through the investment committee. So yeah, there are multiple ways to kind of think about that, that stage and, and what you need to do at those different points. I think what I would say on the process and at this point is that you're going to get more no's than yeses, and that is totally normal. So you shouldn't expect to meet 30 people uh, and have 15 yeses. You should expect to probably have 25 to 27 no's and three yeses. The ratios are, you know, they're pretty they're pretty rare um, in terms of actually finding an investor. Like, I've been really lucky and um, successful at fundraising, but I've had, when I look back, I've had a scalable idea, domain expertise, I've had the entrepreneurial energy, I built a business before, or I had a business at the time as well, depending on when I raised the money in ASTP, my agency, which was revenue generating. We had some customers for Content Cow, good connections, good network, very lucky to have some family and friends back me in the early days as well. Love to you all. Um, so I had quite a lot of yeses, but I have had a lot of no's, many, many no's, many meetings where you go in, you think you've delivered something great and it's a no. And I had a couple of those big ones um you know in in many many times where it's deflating it's frustrating you're like why don't they get it you know, these idiots whatever it may be but like the reality is to find someone who wants to write you a check into your business as you as the individual into your idea into that industry it fits in with their financial plan it fits in with their portfolio it fits in with their investment committee they have the money at the time to write uh, the check they have the interest the appetite um, and you know all of these other factors to want to actually give you however much money they're giving you it's a pretty rare chance you're going to find that so don't be deflated when you get a lot of no's you should expect a lot of no's and you should still be running at 100 miles an hour because as I've read many times and as I really realize now you only need one yes to make this work uh, in reality you only need one or two yeses uh, you don't need lots of people to say yes to get a business off the ground. You need one or two yeses, and that can be all you need to go and get the momentum you need to drive forward. Um, getting to a deal and getting to close. So one of the things when you go out and do this process is you've got to ensure you have a timeline. Um, you've got to say the funding round is opening on this date and we're going to close it in three months' time. And it does take three to six months to raise money, bear in mind, so you've got to think of it in those terms. Um, but with closing date is 20th, 28th of February, whatever it may be, we're going to be having all funds collected at that point. If you're, if you're not investing and you're not funded by that point, you're not going to be in it. Um, we've got five other people lined up who you know want to come in um, instead of you. So you've just got to make sure you have the capital to allocate and spend and transfer before that date. You've got to set that date because if you don't have a date, you have no compelling reason and no like compelling closing memento. Memento? Moment? Mementment? Oh, God knows what I'm saying. Basically, you need to have a closing event, basically. Um, and that gives people a deadline to work towards. 
Once you close the deal and you get that across the line, there's a bunch of obviously admin that needs to happen in terms of share certificates, allocating shares. So make sure you have that and do it quickly. Don't mess around. People don't think of it. Um, don't think of you as very professional if you don't do the actual administration side of things afterwards promptly. Get that done and then have a mini celebration. <laughs> Definitely celebrate the fact that you've done the deal. And then just really take a step back before you do anything, before you revisit your planning and just make sure that you've kind of mentally checked in with yourself that you've just done a funding round and review your plan, discuss with the other people in the business. Plans change, so make sure that you know, roughly speaking, where this money is going. Um, and just really take a pause before you just start spending the cash that you've just raised and really, really make sure you've got the right plan ahead. So stress test what you're going to do with it. And what I would say as my last point um, my last points is around your mindset afterwards. So there's a big difference between an investor, a shareholder in your company versus an advisor. And if you've gained investment, um, you, you now have a shareholder, you have an investor. And some people want to play an active role in your business. And so they become an advisor and you make an agreement they're going to be an advisor and that's what they are in happy days. You work out the structure for your advisory board or your actual board of directors and you, you work to that. Um, if you take money from people and they don't have an official advisory position, um, some people will still you know, be relatively silent and let you get on with it. And some people, very rarely, I have to say, will still you know, have really wide-reaching opinions on what you're doing. Regardless of that, and, and you might want some opinions, to be fair, but you just got to remember that you're still the boss. They're not your management team, and they don't want to be your management team, or they certainly shouldn't do. Otherwise, they should be applying for a job, not um, not investing. If they're an investor, they have invested in you because they bought shares in your business, they believe in you, they want you to succeed, and they'll probably, you know, well, they probably, they will do all they can to help you succeed. Um, but they're not your new management team. They're not your new business partners, so to speak. They're in it because they believe in you, they back you, they want to get some, some additional, you know, cash back out of this. And they want to see you go on a very successful journey. If you want some help from them, ask. But otherwise... You, now your job to get back into the business, get back into the weeds and get on with the growth and get on with the stuff that matters and do the work to get the company to the next stage. Um, I would also say I'm a big fan of investor updates and some people are terrible at this and it blows my mind. Um, you must send an update to your investors at least every quarter, which is what, what I do, uh, and regular ones when you need to, when you might have something going on like a funding round or whatever, some news. But don't take money from people and don't um, and don't provide an update as to what you've done with it. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, some people have other views that like I've taken their money and now I can get on with it. I don't need to tell them what's going on because they've invested and that is what it is. No, 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 no. These investors are stakeholders and you're going to need them to agree to future funding rounds. You're going to need to get their agreement on certain decisions uh, if you have a proper shareholder agreement you're going to you're going to get them or want them to agree on um, selling the business at the right price so you need to bring these people on the journey um, and they're not going to expect lots of information but like you need to tell them what's going on what's good what's bad where you're making progress where you're not things you need to change be transparent um, people have this fear that investors will kick off if things don't work out and, and maybe some of them do but like the reality is the business is a it's a, it's a box it's, it's a thing it's an organism it's a, it's a living breathing entity but it is a legal structure um, and you know you've got to have the mindset of yes it is a living organism it is growing it's people it's projects it's this that and the other 
but the actual entity is a structure um and that's what it's that's what it's there for it's you know you're there to have certain decision making criteria against legal forms the share price is set the voting rights are constructed in a way for you for you to be able to run the business think about these big organizations that have hundreds if not tens of thousands of shareholders like if I've, oh, I've got shares in businesses, but I don't go and tell the management team what to do. Like, I'm, I'm investing in the business because I think the share price is going to increase over time, not because I think I can go and run it. Um, and that's the mindset that you've got to have, like confidence in your plan, your ability to deliver. That was fun. Um, I could go into all of that stuff in so much more detail. There's so many more intricacies within that. Um, and one day, maybe I'll tell a story about our investments um, and how we got them. Not right now, um, but that was more about how to secure investment for the business or your business. So I hope that was helpful. Um, the next one, I haven't completely got my head around what it's going to be. Uh, it could be around, actually, I think what we'll do is we'll do one around how to get to product market fit. Uh, and that is tough. <laughs> and I've got through that. So uh, I'll do the next one on that. So that kind of follows a good narrative. We've covered deciding on what your business is going to be we've gone through how to get going and to ensure that you validate your idea before you go for it we've covered now how to secure your first investment uh, and let's talk about how in the next episode you use that capital you allocate that capital to get to product market fit which is typically the thing you need to get to to get to the next stage of funding and success that you've built a repeatable scalable product and sales engine um that's enough for me 49 minutes of goodness have a good day thank you for listening um hope you found it uh, insightful if you do do get in touch i've had lots of like really nice messages about from people about you know just doing this and finding it interesting which is good to have because when you're doing an audio blog podcasty thing obviously you're putting content out but it's great to have feedback so do get in touch if you found this interesting or insightful or if you have any other questions um have a good one cheers guys